Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back with Andy Taylor, who is a professor of political science at North Carolina State. Uh, We've talked about all sorts of issues. I need to talk a little bit about uh, your personal life. Are you working on a book right now, Andy? Yeah, I am, actually. Um, I'm trying to. um, Working on a book about uh, politics and economic inequality in the United States. Um, And uh, sort of looking at taking a kind of contrarian view um, to some of the literature. Um, So uh, I've been working on that for a little bit of time. Do you have a working title yet? Uh, Not really. Um, It will be be sort of in defense of the American system or something along those lines. Um, It's it's obviously very fashionable to uh, trash our political system these days it comes from everybody and in 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 many ways the the argument is kind of a defense for for how how the thing works interesting well we'll look forward to it you have a timetable well yeah hopefully i mean i've written i don't want to get into too many details but i've written there's 10 chapters i've written five and i've got two or three more in various pieces and i'm working on getting a publisher but it'll be it will be a while well, let's turn our issues, our conversation back to the uh, upcoming election. We've got uh, this election, and as you said, uh, Labor Day is sort of the official beginning of the process. We've got debates coming up. How important do you think the debates will be this year uh, as far as the outcome of the election? Well, I sort of talked about this a little bit before, but normally they're not really that important. Um, they they kind of allow people to reinforce decisions that they've made previously. So if you look at a lot of surveys of people who are asked, who do you think won the debate? Um, and they, they pick a candidate and then you find out that that's the person that they are supporting anyway. Um, and they use the debate to reinforce a previously, a previously made decision rather than to go into them open in a, with an open mind and allow them to sway them one way or the, the other. Uh, that doesn't mean they've never had an effect. Um, you know, famously, people talk a lot about the Reagan-Carter debate in 1980 as being a real turning point. That campaign, uh, that, that uh, the poll suggested, was very close um, going into October. And um, obviously, as we know, it, uh, the, it broke decisively in the favor of then-Governor Reagan, um, who won uh, by, you know, somewhere around about, um, nine, 10 percentage points, uh, which was pretty comfortable victory. Um, everybody talks about Jerry Ford in 1976 when he denied that um, Poland was under Soviet occupation and that was said to have heard him, particularly since 1976 was an extremely close year. Um, but other than that, although, you know, they don't seem to have much of an effect. There's a, a real uh, strong um show uh, from data we can we can see that uh, hillary clinton had very strong showing in all of the debates particularly the first debate in 2016 and didn't help her um obama was said to have bombed and most people agreed the first debate in 2012 didn't help mitt romney but this year we don't have as much uh, as many cues just because we don't have the candidates out there uh, on the stump doing lots of big speeches, 
visiting, going around big rallies and what have you. And so there will be other information. We talked about the Woodward book. Um, we, there will be other things that come down the pike that will uh, uh, affect the race. But there will be more attention, I think, on these debates uh, than there normally are. Um, the question is, will they deliver? Um, and you do really need a big knockout blow to, to have to move the needle. Um, a sort of rope-a-dope strategy or a, a, a sort of... Uh, a, a bear hug strategy that some candidates go into into debates isn't going to result in that. So, yeah, they might potentially they could have more make more of a difference than they normally do. But I'm not I don't have a great deal of confidence that they will. Well, we all have learned the lesson that uh, uh, who wins the popular vote nationwide is not nearly as important as who wins the electoral vote. Because that's it's not important at all compared to the electoral vote. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, there are five or six swing states that uh, Trump must take uh, to uh, probably to be reelected. Yeah. Uh, sort of go down those states and where you think they are right now. Well, there's an interesting thing that Trump has done and now perhaps um, Biden, maybe a bit of Obama did this as well, is to change the electoral map a little bit. Um, the same states, uh, swing states, are still the sort of same that, that we had about 10, 15 years ago, are still the, the principal candidates today. Um, Florida remains tremendously important. Um, it's very, very close. It has a large number of electoral votes. You know, it's, it's now the third biggest state in the union. I think it's overtaken New York um, to take that position, um, you know, with 29 electoral votes. Um, it's it's going to be it's going to be key. Uh, Ohio has, has always been another large and important swing state or battleground state. And I don't think that's changed much. However, it does illustrate what is going on. Um, and we saw that dramatically in 2016, when Trump won um, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. Um, Pennsylvania, for the first time uh, since 1988, a Republican had won it, and the other two for the first time since 1984. I think I got that right. I, I sometimes get that mixed up. I think I've attributed those dates to the right states. Um, and this was demonstrative of the fact that Republicans, particularly a Trump Republican, possibly other Republicans, are making headway in what the industrial rust belt uh, with white working class voters that, that are, are, are populist there. And as a result, having success in those kinds of states, uh, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, and making Ohio redder than it was before. Uh, on the other hand, Democrats are making inroads in the, in the Sun Belt and particularly the kind of rim south. Florida is still purple, um, but Virginia, which was a pretty Republican state until recently, has gone kind of through battleground swing status to become fairly blue. The same seems to happen, have happened to Colorado, um, which has done the same. And then you're seeing Democrats looking more competitive in other states. Maybe even, you know, the Texases of the world, but particularly perhaps the Georgia, Georgias of the world, a state like Georgia um, or Georgia. <laughs> um, and, and then uh, even in places like Arizona and, and in the Southwest, 
Nevada, New Mexico. And of course, that leaves also as an obvious candidate, North Carolina, which is becoming, I think, increasing at the presidential level, a little bit more purple than it was in the past when it was pretty red. Um, and so you would add North Carolina to those swing states and one and therefore in the category since where it is geographically one of which trump needs to win if but but biden could win it and if biden does win it that makes him the favorite to win overall so those top tier states that you mentioned ohio pennsylvania wisconsin and michigan is where is trump running in those he's running behind what he did in 16 um particularly in Michigan um, and to a certain extent in Pennsylvania. He can probably afford to lose two of those if he can hold on to his Sunbelt states, but he can't lose all three. And Wisconsin is looking to be a kind of state where, you know, the, the pivotal state. It sort of in many ways kind of was in 2016. In fact, Trump even wants to, thinks that he can expand uh, the red states in that area and, and possibly bring Minnesota into play, um, which, of course, would, would place pressure on Biden. But I do think, you know, in, in those Rust Belt states that you've talked about that where Bush, uh, excuse me, where Trump really wants to hold the line, um, his weakest uh, defense at the moment is in Pennsylvania and Michigan. Um, uh, but he could probably afford that, but no more. No more beyond that. Um, and so Wisconsin's going to become uh, a, sig a significant battle battleground, particularly if you start to see the Trump campaign uh, possibly conceding in Michigan and Pennsylvania. We're hearing more and more that we may not know on election night who won the election, uh, but we may have a pretty good indication from the Electoral College. So let's assume that the day after the election is over, who do you think is going to have more electoral votes than the other one, if you look at it right now? Well, I think we're sort of saying who's going to win. I mean, the, the, what will happen is we might have some close states where because of the large mail-in ballot, um, then um, they're not prepared to call them. And it's possible there'll be enough of those states that neither candidate can get to a majority or 270 in the Electoral College, and therefore you won't be able to call the entire race. Um you know, Biden's a favorite at the moment, uh, mainly in the national polls. Although if you look at the, the, the swing state polls, I would consider his chances of winning less because, it, it, as you noted, it's not a national popular vote. And there does seem to be some kind of Trump bias in the Electoral College, as we saw in 2016. Um, he, it's his, I think it's Biden's to lose at the moment. He's running a front runner campaign. He's being particularly cautious. Trump is helping him. Uh, a little bit with some of the things that we've talked about. So I think at this stage, Bi Biden is a favorite. Um, and, and and the question is, and, he, and, and I think if you take 2016 as a benchmark, he's running ahead of Clinton, uh, which is, I think, very important to note. Biden is running ahead of where Clinton was uh, in early September of 2016. Our guest is Andy Taylor. We have one final segment coming up here on Carolina Newsmakers as we look at the upcoming election and the election process that's going on right now in the state of North Carolina. And we will begin that right after we take time out for these messages. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. 
Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Is this tree good for climbing? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Safe gun storage saves lives. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. That's nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back with Andy Taylor here on Carolina Newsmakers, and uh, we've talked to, had some very interesting observations from Andy about the upcoming election. Uh, Andy, of course, is a professor of political science at North Carolina State University and has been a frequent guest on this program. And uh, we uh, love to get into a deep dive with his observations. One of the things that is going on right now, uh, and President Trump is making a big to-do about this, and that is the fact that so many people are going to choose to vote by mail, many, many more than we've had before. Uh, President Trump seems to think that this is... uh, there's a possibility for fraud. I'm not sure that uh, even his own uh, political party agrees with that assessment necessarily. Uh, but uh, how do you assess the the uh, huge amount of uh, increase in the uh, absentee ballots and voting by mail in that whole situation? Yeah, well, obviously, this is all driven by people's concerns about being in social settings uh, because of the coronavirus. Um, and there are many people who are concerned about that for whatever reason. Um, and that, that's put a lot more attention on voting by mail. Uh, v- voting rules are the domain of the states. And, uh, you, you know, we have 50 states uh, and the District of Columbia. Um, they have, there are 51 different sets of rules, really. Um, and so it depends upon which state. Some states... In fact, historically, have had well historically, but in in the past decade or so, have moved to all male elections. So uh, Oregon is a good example of that. Um, uh, Oregon being the first, um, all their elections are all male in. Uh, and then you go to other states where uh, you need to have uh, a significant um, excuse to get a mail in vote because the mail vote is considered purely an absentee ballot. Um, the states like North Carolina uh, are kind of in the middle. We have um, n- what we call no excuse absentee voting, which means that, you know, in, in the year of the coronavirus, um, you can just request a mail ballot. Um, you don't have to 
say, oh, I'm going to be on vacation on election day or on business trip or what have you, or I'm having an operation, you know, you don't need to give an excuse. So you can request one and they will send one to you. Um, and in fact, you can even submit them as early as now. We have the, I, I think the earliest date at which um, absentee mail ballots can be submitted by voters uh, uh, and it will be accepted by the state. And that was uh, at the end of last week. So you can get one now um, and you can, you, can, you can send it in. Um, as long as you send it in, I think it's by October 27th. Uh, all the data that is being collected, some of it um, by my, many of my colleagues across the state uh, who work um, very hard at this, people like uh, Michael Bitzer um, and Chris Cooper, uh, collecting these data and all the indications are that this is a record-breaking year that we may have as many as 600 possibly up to three quarters of a million voters who will do it by mail which by the way is still a you know a sizable it's still a minority and most people will vote on election day uh, but it will have effects because um one is this question of fraud that you talked about um don uh a lot of the f arguments about fraud, voter fraud, we've heard in the past decade or so have to do with voter impersonation, uh, but, and that's why we need voter ID. And so when you have someone go to the polls, you want to make sure that they give you an ID. But it's always seemed to me, and we saw this in the North Carolina 9th Congressional District in 2018, that um, ballot harvesting, that is someone taking someone's ballot or kind of manipulating it in some way, a mail-in ballot, and then sending it in on their behalf or doctoring it is much more likely to be a problem uh, when it comes to fraud. And um, this is where a lot of this concern about the fraud of, of mail-in voting is, is coming from. Um, of course, people, even if they uh, know that they're the one who voted on the piece of paper, they're still concerned, well, will the elections board get it? Or Will they be able to count it? Will it get there in time? Will it get lost in the mail? There's been a tremendous dispute about the mail service, of course, the USPS between Democrats and Republicans over the last uh, several weeks. So there is this real, real concern. The other thing is, uh, what will happen on election night? If it's really close, there's going to be a lot of absentee ballots to count. And they tend to take a long, lot longer time, which means that, you know, if North Carolina is close, it's possible that Trump will win the state because we think Republicans are more likely to vote on election day in the initial count. But as the absentee ballots come in, maybe it will go to Biden, which will suggest uh, people will worry of, about whether that's legitimate or not or what's going on. So there are all sorts of issues that are brought up by this. And it's going to be a fascinating, it's going to be fascinating to see the effect that mail-in ballots have. Issues that could change uh, people's minds, of course, if they've already voted, uh, they the vote's in. Yeah. So, um, uh, there's a lot of discussion about whether President Trump is pushing the announcement of a COVID-19 vaccine before Election Day. Uh, the manufacturers are all saying that they are not going to announce it until they're sure. Uh, but if an announcement is made about a COVID-19 vaccine, uh, would that benefit Trump or at this point in time to uh, people just think that's going to happen one way or the other? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it would hurt him, but I'm not sure if it would particularly help him. I think there's a sense that um, 
you know, it's it really is the the drug companies and the researchers uh, that are doing this. Um, and you know, the obviously there are people aren't going to be really getting it before election day, even if it, you know, we get one or two that pass uh, are formally officially FDA approved. Um, if the coronavirus is going to be, uh, we turn this around, and it, you know the figures, the, the 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 data are getting better. It's certainly getting better here in early September. That's going to be a, a result of individual members of the public acting in a particular way, and you know the use of testing and treatment at the moment. Um, it's not going to be because of any vaccine. That's going to have important material effects down the line. So my sense is it's just not going to have, it's not going to be an October surprise. It might be an October surprise that surprises on the pleasant side, but I don't think it's going to have a material effect on the, on the outcome of the election. Yeah. I've got about 30 seconds for a, a deep answer. So you're going to have to condense this. Uh, do you see any change in the economy that would affect the election between now and the, and the election date? Not, not the macro economy. Um, it's steadily improving. It won't improve enough to make. But of course, headlines can sometimes matter. So the the the, the stock market has been behaving very erratically, um, and that could help at the margins by going up a lot or going down a lot, even though it doesn't really affect the macro economy that much, at least in the short term. Well, you've given me just enough time to thank you very much for your observations. And to remind people that if they happen to be listening to a station that carries only a half-hour version of this program, you can go to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear two segments that you missed. That's carolinanewsmakers.com. And uh, if you'd like to share the entire broadcast or listen to the entire broadcast again, you can also go to carolinanewsmakers.com and do just that. Our program has been produced by Jason Kong. And again, we thank Andy Taylor for being with us. And Jason has promised me faithfully that we'll have another equally interesting guest again next week on the same group of stations. So until next week, all along the state of North Carolina, we hope that you'll have a good week and that uh, we'll look forward to having you with us next week. So until next week, have a nice week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.